Side Hustle Show 193, getting paid to show off your city. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where it's all about ideas, action, and results. Awesome side hustle success story for you today. Now, as you know, this month, we're looking at a few of the different platforms that you can use to earn extra money and start a business, since that's the theme of my new book, Buy Buttons. You can learn more at buybuttonsbook.com. Today, we're looking at a handful of travel platforms, including tripadvisor.com, Viator, Viable, and uh, Airbnb. Uh, among others. My guest is Alexandra Kennan. She's a former Google employee and full-time content writer and editor. For the past four years, her side hustle has been Urban Hiker SF at UrbanHikerSF.com, where she leads tour groups through the varied terrain and history of her adopted hometown of San Francisco. In fact, her company leads a thousand hikers a year on these trails at 49 bucks a piece. And today she's going to lead us through how she came up with this idea how she got started and marketed the business, and how she's removing herself from the day-to-day operations and transitioning this very labor-intensive side hustle into a passive income stream. Notes, links, and a free PDF highlight reel you can download are at sidehustlenation.com slash tour, T-O-U-R, tour. Ready? Let's do it. We don't necessarily do your traditional hikes that are well-signed and you just walk on a trail and just follow trail markers and can get to your end and back to your start. What we do is, you know, we have some value add. So one, we do hiking in history. So we're going to do at least 10 history stops on each tour. So you're really going to learn about the things you're seeing. The other thing we do is the way we do our hikes is they're really something you couldn't replicate yourself. So when I say an urban hike, this is some combination of, in San Francisco, stairways, hills, and hiking trails. And these walks can take you all throughout the city, and each one of them has about 40 to 50 different turns. So what we try to do is maximize the number of sites you see in a given amount of time. And it took me a bunch of time to research these hikes. So this is really not something you'd be able to easily replicate on your own, these 40 to 50 turns. Okay. So you're charging 49 bucks a person for this. Was that always the price or has that gone up over the years? I did not know where to start my pricing. I did look at a few other tour companies in the Bay Area. And when I looked at biking tours, I know they're giving you a physical bike. So I figured I should be a little less expensive than that, but still be able to support myself with some of the income I was getting from these hiking tours. So it had to be at a certain level. So it started with 45 and increased to 49. Okay. Was anybody else doing something similar or would you say those bike tours were the next closest thing? I do think that is the next closest thing. You, you might think that walking tours are the next closest thing, but the thing with walking tours is when you're on a walking tour, they are very historically focused most of the time, which is fantastic, but they're not focused on exercise generally. So you're generally going to walk about a mile and it's going to be an hour or two. Yeah. People who sign up for bike tours are looking for a more active experience. So I do think that is a better parallel, but yeah, no one was doing hiking tours in the city. So I saw that as an opportunity to be the first in that market. Did you have to study the history of the city? Like, How did you know what to talk about on these things? Oh, yeah. So I definitely had to learn a lot of history. And I just that's a personal interest of mine. So it didn't really feel like work. 
But for each hike, when I wanted to plan them out, I wanted them each to be four to five miles, two and a half to three hours. So let's say if you wanted to go on all three of our hikes, you could get a similar sort of experience on each one, but in a different neighborhood. I then came up with a few anchor points. For an example of an anchor point for our Urban Jungles tour is start at the Castro Theater, go to Twin Peaks, and then I found two other great hilltops nearby. And then I found all the other neat places near all those points that would help you get from A to B to C to D and back to the start. And then I looked up the history for those points. So it was very focused history learning. I knew I'd be going to Twin Peaks, so I wanted to learn about that. Knew I'd be starting at the Castro Theater, wanted to learn about that and just learned about all the places along the way. Okay, interesting. And just piecing it together. What else is an interesting waypoint on this path? Yeah. So there, you know, as I mentioned before, we do stairways, hills, hiking trails. So it could be any one of those. We also pass by historic mansions. We do a hiking tour in the Presidio and the Presidio was a military base for basically 1776 to 1994 when it became a national park. So there's tons of history there. There's large scale artworks by Andy Goldsworthy, all sorts of things you can see that aren't just nature. Okay. So we created these three different hikes. Did you have all three at the very beginning or was it just one? Great question. I did have them all listed on my website, but I was not perfectly prepared to have all of them ready at the time of the launch. I just wanted to show that I had a selection. But yeah, there was one that I listed first, had the most pictures for and everything. That was the main one I had prepared. What did that launch look like? You say, okay, I am open for business and now we play the waiting game. Yeah, I created a website, printed out some business cards. I was inspired by Chris Gillibo's $100 Startup, which is a book on how you can spend less than $1,000 and sometimes less than $100 to start a business. So yeah, creating the website was easy. Creating the business cards was easy. Then I had to market the tours. I tried to keep things low cost again because I wasn't even sure this was going to be a business. So I did a few things to launch the business. My dad's wife actually referred our first hiking group. I charged the group a reduced price because I was just starting out, wanted to make sure people might like the tour, wanted to try it with a group. That was the first source of feedback and reviews. Another thing I did was I ran a deal, not a Groupon, but something like a Groupon with a site called Zozi. Now, Zozi is smaller and that's what I wanted. I didn't want to have 5,000 people wanting to go on a hike tomorrow. wanted to have a much smaller group. Which is what would happen if you did the thing on Groupon? I just had read so many stories on getting flooded with customers. Okay. And you're like, hey, it's a side hustle. Like, I only have so much capacity. Exactly. And Zozi was very focused on outdoor experiences. So I figured this would be a good way to kind of get some initial clients. The other thing I didn't want with Groupon is I really did want to position this business as a premium product. So I was just using this Zozi coupon as a first way to get customers. And then I decided I would never do a coupon again, because again, I wanted this to be a premium product. And this is Z-O-Z-I.com. Exactly. And with that, I got about 200 people buying the coupon. And that was my first round of customers. And basically all I needed as a tour company, I knew I needed to impress them and get them to write reviews on TripAdvisor. Once you're basically on TripAdvisor or Yelp, people can start finding you. And it's mainly TripAdvisor in the travel industry. So I got a bunch of reviews and my business was off to a start. You make it sound so simple. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> what did you do to entice those reviews? Because we, we're the same way. You know, we'll go on TripAdvisor, hey, top 10 things to do in San Francisco. We've got a trip to Prague coming up, top 10 things to do in Prague. And those companies, like that's amazing free exposure because it's like, oh, shoot, that's the number one thing to do in the city. You know, we better go check it out. Yeah, I realized that was so important too. So I, I thought about how I might get TripAdvisor reviews. One thing that helps is being a small business. You know, if I go in a big red bus tour in San Francisco, I don't necessarily feel like I'm helping anyone. There's already a lot of reviews out there. Yeah, I'm a small business. At the time, I was the only person working for Urban Hiker SF. So people would really feel like they're making an impact by giving me a review. Another thing I would do was on the tour, I bought a fancy camera right before I started the tour business so I could take photos, high quality photos for the site and make the site and photos of the hikes look really enticing. What I would do with the camera is take photos of the people on the hikes and send them to the people after the hike along with a thank you note. So the thank you note would say, thank you guys so much for being on the hike. I hope you enjoyed yourself. If you had a great time, please leave us a review on TripAdvisor. Here is Dropbox folder with all those photos that we took on the hike. So it was a nice little takeaway for them. Okay, super smart. Okay, I like that one. What else was effective in kind of growing that review base or growing that platform base outside of your own website? In addition to what I was doing, my booking system also reminds people to leave a review after their tour is done. So that's also embedded in the booking system. Okay, tell me about the booking system. So this is something you have embedded on your own site? Yeah, it's called Zola, X-O-L-A. And basically, it powers my book now button, but it also powers a back-end calendar that I can look at to help schedule tours. So there are different book now buttons that are associated with each one of my tours. Every time someone books a tour, money goes into this kind of virtual account that ends up going into my bank account later. It also puts all those people on a schedule so I can easily look at my calendar and know who's coming when. Okay, that's great. How often do you run these things? Are you going like every night after work, we're doing a tour? Great question, because at first I was doing these tours all the time and I was exhausted and two people were coming on the tours at a time. (laughs) So I realized I had to cluster these experiences. And what I realized is, okay, San Franciscans live here all the time. Who knows? Maybe someone has an unconventional schedule and could come on a Monday at 3 p.m., But most people are most free on the weekend. So I figured I'd have dates on and around the weekend. So I run these tours Thursdays and Fridays at 1.30 p.m., Saturday at 9.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m., and Sundays at 1.30 p.m. So really clustered around the weekend when we'd have a peak of visitors. Okay. Did you find that most people were local or were they in from out of town? Most of them, I'd say 80 to 90% of them are coming from out of town. Okay. It's funny. I think a lot of people in the Bay Area think they know the city, but anytime I do have someone from the Bay Area, they're always surprised at all the new things they see. I'd say one segment of our business, which is definitely growing, is corporate experiences. And those are all locals. And they're all looking to do something fun and new with the team. Most of the time, it's tech companies just being in the Bay Area. So those are the main locals we have. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, 
I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Okay, interesting. Have you done anything specifically to target the corporate experience market? Well, I used to work at Google and I used to have a friend that was an administrative assistant at Google. So I worked with her to get myself on a list of vendors specifically at Google for offsites. Okay. Okay. You got an in. I like it. Yes. And then just being someone who's worked in a corporation and I have a professional background, I have an MBA in business. I just have all these other friends who work at corporations. So let's say it's April or May. I know it's going to be intern season at all these corporations. I might post on Facebook, Hey, can anyone connect me with an intern coordinator at your company? We love doing corporate experiences and especially for interns. Okay. Yeah. So that's one way. I also have a page on my website that targets kind of private and corporate tours. So people can find out about those and you'll see a bunch of logos on my site of other corporations that have gone on hikes with us. So I think that helps too. How many people can you take at one time? Well, ideally, I think for the optimal experience, it's generally a smaller group, but I have taken as many as about 45 people on a hike. Oh, wow. In that case, you know, when you get into those bigger numbers, you're not doing as much history. You can also ideally break a 45 person group into two, have two lead guides, have two guides in the back and kind of do the same route, either one group 15 minutes after the other, or one group goes counterclockwise, one group goes counterclockwise on the same loop, and you kind of meet up in the middle and at the end. Okay. So ideally, you're not in a massive, massive group. You mentioned, hey, well, I was doing these tours for two people, and it just wasn't worth it. Do you have like a minimum now? <laughs> yes. It's funny. For the tour that is very easy for me to get to and close to my house, I do have a two-person minimum. We will take folks out for that. For our other tours that are a little harder for me or our guides to get to a little farther out in the city, we do have a four-person minimum. Okay. And what that does is, let's say there's three people booked for a tour on Saturday at 1.30. That's not going to make that four-person cutoff. I can say, hey, do you want to come on our 9.30 tour that day? And then instead of having 
a group of three and a group of four, I now have a group of seven. I get to spend three hours doing a hike instead of two hikes for six hours. And I get the same amount of revenue. You must be in great shape. That's what everyone says. I know I, I, I try to be in great shape, but we are not sprinting by any means. You know, we take anyone from we've had a 10 year old and we've had a 72 year old on our tour. So we take all types and all fitness levels. Okay. Well, I qualify for all fitness levels. So <laughs> we'll come out and take one of your tours sometime. I think this sounds pretty fun. So typical eight or 10, like how many is an average group size? Well, an interesting point for my business is that it's seasonal. So in the summer, I mean, we could have groups of 12 a lot. And in the winter, we might have groups of four a lot. So it's anywhere between there. But I'd say in the summers, it could be eight or 10 people. And in the winter, it could be, you know, anywhere between two, four or six. Yeah. So you're looking at four or 500 bucks per hike, you know, if you have eight or 10 people. Yeah, that's my ideal income from each hike that I want to make. That's pretty sweet. It is sweet. And yeah, the companies are great. Working with corporations are great because they usually have groups. So instead of getting a two-person booking here and a two-person booking there and having to find all these clients myself through kind of either TripAdvisor bookings or good SEO, I just have a company coming to me and saying, hey, we've got a group of 15. So that takes a lot of work off my shoulders. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Do people book in advance? Or are you always like sweating it last minute? Be like, oh, am I going to be booked up this weekend? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, people book within a week, I'd say. So <laughs> okay. yeah, most people book within a week, maybe maximum two weeks. So I really don't necessarily know what my schedule is like. I would love to have a better sense of who's coming ahead of time. But what I do do is someone books a hike a month in advance. I'll email them. Hey, we have a minimum for this tour. We haven't met it yet. I'll let you know soon as we've met it. So they know they're not anxious and they can make other plans if they need to. Okay. So one thing you just mentioned was SEO for your own site and you ranked very well for San Francisco urban hikes. When I searched, which as a former Googler, I guess that's not surprising, but like any other marketing channels you found to be effective at driving business? Absolutely. I've mentioned TripAdvisor. I mentioned my website. The third big prong of our marketing, my marketing, I guess, is all these partnerships I have or with marketplaces. So if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say a marketplace, this is a travel marketplace. So you go to a website and you can book one of many tours. You can book any tours. You can just browse by city and see what you want to do. So these websites kind of aggregate tours and experiences, whether it's food tours, hiking tours, et cetera, and make it easy for you to find something to do in a given city. What have been some of your favorites? I'd say ones I work with the most are Viable by tour, very local, and I work with Airbnb as well. So Viable is another one that you mentioned. Viator or Viator is another one where it's kind of this two-sided marketplace where they're still kind of in growth mode. Actually, Viator has been around for a really long time. I feel like I've booked something through them yes, before. Yes, probably have. But it works similarly where, okay, I might as well syndicate my offering on these platforms. Exactly. So what I realized, though, is that there are so many of these marketplaces. So I'm really focusing in on a few select marketplaces that I know have traction. Another one is Cloud9. They do generally corporate experiences. And I do another one called Zola with a Z, Z-O-L-A, as opposed to X-O-L-A, my booking system. Okay. And Zola does wedding registries. You know, people are going to keep giving gifts to their employees. People are going to keep giving wedding gifts to their friends. So those also have built-in customers as opposed to all these smaller niche sites that keep popping up. 
Okay. Wedding registries. Okay. So people will gift a tour. Exactly. So they can gift a tour instead of just giving a physical present. So I notice a lot of people want to give experiences instead of just presents these days. So that's been helpful also. Absolutely. Okay, so we mentioned some of these marketplaces. I think that's awesome, kind of casting a wide net and, you know, allowing stuff to come back. But it sounds like TripAdvisor is still the biggest. A very time-intensive hustle. You mentioned we several times. It sounds like there's other people who are helping do these tours now for you. You've hired other hike leaders or group leaders. What was that process like? And, you know, was it a challenge to remove yourself and step away from leading these hikes? Oh, yes. Giving up control was definitely hard because I feel like I put my heart and soul into building this business. And it's hard to find people who are necessarily as passionate about your passion as you are. Yeah. So I've been really lucky. It's been decently easy for me to find people who are interested. So I've met some people through friends, some people who are already fans of my social media pages, like already like my Facebook page and will reach out to me hey, I follow your Facebook page. I'd really love to be a tour guide. Or I've even had a few people come on tours and turn into tour guides. So two people I've had come on tours. One was spending the summer in San Francisco, wanted to get to know it a little better, came on a tour, ended up moving to San Francisco, came a tour guide. Another one came with her family before she moved to San Francisco, but came a tour guide once she moved to San Francisco. I've also met people at travel events and people find my site online. And if they're interested, sometimes they'll reach out and want to be a guide. How many do you have on your team now? It depends, but I have about four or five at any given time. Okay. Do you still go on any of the hikes yourself or is it all outsourced? I do. I do come on the larger ones. For example, we have one on the 28th of this month. And that is for 50 people. So I need to have four guides on this. We're going to split into two groups of 25, going to have a guide in the front, a guide in the back. And as I explained before, one of us is going to go clockwise. One of us is going to go counterclockwise. And then the backup guides, their job is to be the slowest person on the tour and make sure no one's lost. (laughs) Okay, So they have an easier job. Did you have to take a bunch of time to kind of job shadow and train people? Because it's kind of like your name and your face, especially your name in a lot of these reviews. Hey, we went with Alexandra. It was awesome. And now when I book it, where is she? I've got somebody else. Right. So that's why I'm really careful about who I hire. I want to make sure people have the right personality and fit. And sometimes people self-select out. You know, I had a tour guide who wanted to try out our tours after about an hour She told me she had to use the restroom. I was like, sure, go find a bathroom. She never came back and she emailed me. I am definitely not outgoing (laughs) to do your tours. So definitely it is for a specific type of person who has enthusiasm, can talk to strangers, likes talking to strangers, like San Francisco, history, fitness, etc. So yeah, what I do is basically they come on a tour with me to get trained. They see if they like it. If they like it, I tell them about our payment structure, see if that's fine. That's kind of step two. If our payment structure sounds good, then they move on to step three, which is really learning the tour. So I give them a bunch of materials, which is a map, step-by-step instructions for where to go, and history. So they take all those materials, practice the tour by themselves a bunch of times. During that time, they can come on as many tours with me as they want to perfect kind of delivery And then when they're ready to do their first tour by themselves, I'm there with them just to make sure, just as a backup, in case they forget something, they'll feel just more secure that I'm there. And then so will the clients, the hiking clients. They'll know they have the founder there with them. 
after that's done, if they pass that test, they get to do hikes on their own and I don't need to be involved. And then you're out of the picture. Then I'm out of the picture. So for example, this week I'm in New York and I have a guy doing a hike on Thursday and she's just going to do it. And I'm just going to sit here and the hike will go out and I will make some money. She'll make some money and we'll have some happy hiking clients. It's a very non-traditional passive income business right there. It is definitely not traditional. So what percentage of the revenue do you end up sharing with the guides or if you're comfortable saying? Yeah, it depends. What I want to, I guess my model was if I succeed, then you succeed. So I pay them increasing amounts for, you know, if I have a 10 person tour, you're going to be earning a lot more than if I have a two person tour. Sure, sure. A four person tour, let's say, is you get 50 bucks as payment, but for an eight person tour, you get a hundred bucks. So it grows with my business. Okay, cool. Okay. So outsourcing the actual walking and talking was kind of the first step. One thing that you've got going on is really cool is this book deal. You want to tell me about that? Yeah. So I decided at a certain point that I wanted to see all the hiking trails that San Francisco had to offer. And I'd really love this book called Stairway Walks in San Francisco by this woman, Ada Bakalinski. It's in its 10th edition. So it's been extremely successful. It's updated all the time. People love it. You know, if you move to San Francisco, you may be even gifted this book as I was. Inspired by that book, I wanted to explore San Francisco and combination of wanting to see all the hiking trails in San Francisco and keeping this book in mind, I realized there was no book on hiking in San Francisco. And that was a topic I knew a lot about. So the stairway walks was similar, but it wasn't specifically like hiking. Yeah, that's a good point. So stairway walks in San Francisco is about walking tours you can do based on our almost 700 public stairways that we have. It's a very hilly city. It is a very hilly city. And we have, yeah, almost 700 stairways. So you could spend greater part of a year doing weekend stairway walk hikes. And what I noticed this author didn't do was she didn't go on the hiking trails necessarily because there aren't necessarily tons of stairways on these hiking trails. So let's say a big area like the Presidio, which has about 24 miles of hiking trails, she might just dip into one of them. And I realized this was the case for a lot of our big parks in San Francisco. So I realized there was no book on hiking in San Francisco. There were, of course, walking books of San Francisco, which might take you around, let's say, Chinatown, a very dense area with not a lot of green space or nature. And there were also books on hiking in the Bay Area, which meant going to Marin, having a car, going to the peninsula, just going places that are a little farther away. Okay. But there was nothing on hiking in San Francisco. And I decided huh, maybe I could be the author of that book. So I put together a, it took some time, I put together a 50-page book proposal. I sent it to three publishing houses and I actually got two book deals back. Wow, that's almost an unheard of take rate in the publishing world. I could not believe it myself. The first one I heard back from the next day that they were interested and wanted to learn more. Of course, that was not a book deal by any means. Right. Were these hiking book specific publishers? Yes. So they were outdoors publishers. So I actually only had a list of about 10 publishers that I would potentially send to. And these were the first three that I sent to. Wow. And if I didn't get anything back from them, I was going to kind of revise my proposal and maybe resend to my B list. 
did you send them directly yourself or did you have to use like a literary agent or something like that? Believe it or not, I took a little bet. I read a book and I can get you the name of this book by David Fugate, another person I've met through kind of the Chris Gillibo network. I went to a conference called the World Domination Summit a few years and I went to a session on should I self-publish or get a publishing deal for a book? And I went to a session on this led by this guy, David Fugate, and he has this ebook on just that very topic. And I seriously followed every single thing he said. And I realized this publishing house, generally, he is a book agent. So of course, he wants people to use book agents. But I realized the publishers I was going after were so niche in this outdoor market that I would try to do it myself. And I followed every single step he talked about for writing your own book proposal. And it really worked, given the yield that I got out of my submission process. Is there a reason you didn't want to go self-publish for this? Yeah, uh, I realized that, oh my goodness, I'm an idea person. I'm not a crazy detail person. And this book was going to be so detailed. It was going to have lefts and rights and 500 feet and do this after 0.2 miles, do that. And I needed a professional editing team, I thought. I also knew that maps would be a huge part of my book. It's a guidebook on hiking in San Francisco. I didn't know any professional cartographers. I knew the publishing houses probably would. So since my book was so specific in this market, you know, I need maps, I need fact checkers, I need editors. That's why I decided to go with a publishing house. Now I've also learned so much about the publishing process. I might be able to do something in the future on my own, but it was great to learn about how a publishing house does a book deal. Yeah, that's very cool. Is the book available now or is it coming out soon? It is coming out on November 15th, but it's already on Amazon. It's called Urban Trail San Francisco. Okay, well, we will link that up for pre-orders in the show notes. Does it work like, okay, we're going to give you an advance for this. And then, you know, you kind of earn royalties out of that for a while. And then everything on top of that is gravy. Like this is a, it's a whole new world to me. That is exactly that you, well, you have good understanding of the process. That's exactly what it was. I received an advance and I ended up working with a literary lawyer to kind of work on my contract with me. But yeah, I got an advance and they kind of divide up your contract into two pieces You do have to pay back your advance with book sales. And then kind of you have your print book sales and your ebook sales. And you get a lot more back and you can pay back your advance much more easily through ebook sales than through physical book sales. But it was great that I realized I'd have to make a big financial outlet. You know, I'd have to lay out a lot of money to pay an editor, fact checker, a cartographer, If I were doing this on my own this way, that's all included in the price and marketing is partially included in the price too. Of course, I'm going to do a bunch of my own marketing. I do have a marketing background, but the publishing house also has a publicist and it's their incentive to sell my book. So I also really like that idea too. I like it too. Do you think between the book and the tours and all this other stuff that's going on, like, do you think it could be a full-time thing? You know, it might be. I do know a bunch of people in the tour business who do this full-time. I probably could make this a full-time income if I focus solely on private and corporate tours because those are the real money makers. It's not just the random four-person tour you do on a Thursday afternoon. Yeah. So if I really wanted to specialize in that area, I think that would be a great way to do that. 
all my biggest months in my business have been due to a lot of corporate tours. I also think I could expand to different cities and kind of have a franchise like Urban Hiker Los Angeles, Urban Hiker Portland, etc. But for me, for now, I think that's too much. I'd rather focus on growing my own San Francisco business, doing the private tours, doing the corporate tours, selling the books. Selling merchandise is huge from what I've heard from other tour companies. So things like t-shirts, water bottles, etc. And eventually I may want to do some sort of ebook or course on how to get a nonfiction book deal to add to the passive income streams. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> so on the merchandise side, is it just like urban hiker SF, like kind of t-shirt or I went on this tour and it was awesome, like that kind of thing? As much as I love my own brand, it does not have a lot of recognition. People don't really want to walk around with urban hiker SF t-shirts necessarily. What I noticed a bike tour company doing that was brilliant was they created a shirt for a very insidery thing. So we have this bike route in San Francisco called the Wiggle. And it's a bike route that helps you wiggle through the city while taking mainly flat streets to get to the Golden Gate Bridge on your bike. Okay. And this is something that you do on their bike tours. And this is something that locals do. And I saw a local guy wearing this tour company shirt that said, I did the wiggle or wiggle SF, something like that. It just dawned on me that I should do something about, you know, San Francisco's hills. I should do a shirt that is interesting to both visitors and locals alike and not really with my branding. So that's what I'm thinking of. All right. That's another revenue stream. Yeah. Well, cool. Alexander, this has been awesome. I have learned a lot. And again, looking forward to coming and checking out one of your hikes sometime. It's urbanhikersf.com. And let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Yes, my number one tip for Side Hustle Nation is you are an entrepreneur. I seriously, after 10 years in corporate gigs, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur and I became one. If I can become one and I didn't believe it, you can too. So just go out there and pursue your idea. I love it. Thanks so much. And we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks so much, Nick. All right. So my top takeaways from this call with Alexandra, number one, go where customers already are. She started with this Zozi deal, Z-O-Z-I, and that transitioned into TripAdvisor reviews, but also all the other smaller marketplaces that she's using. And that's the big theme of the Buy Buttons book is figuring out how to get in front of a pre-existing audience of buyers. And she could even, in her case, she could even strike up relationships with local Airbnb hosts or local hotel concierges, you know, people who are dealing with travelers and tourists. Number two was to look for partnerships and to think B2B. So Alex mentioned some of her highest grossing months were the ones where she had corporate tour gigs. And I thought that was a really innovative way to turn a consumer facing business into a business facing business where your clients have more money to spend, they're less price sensitive, and they may even have an allocated budget just for stuff like this. And takeaway number three was to think of ways to productize and remove yourself um, from this straight time for money equation. Alex had lots of creative ideas on that front, starting with hiring guides to do the walks for her, um, then on to the book project, and then to the merchandise, and then to the geographic expansion. Lots of options coming out from what on the surface is a pretty basic like time-based service business. And Alex's number one tip, you are an entrepreneur, reminded me of Julian Gordon's quote. I'm not sure if he said this in episode 22 or not, but he said, hey, 
We're all already entrepreneurs. If you have a day job, your boss is simply your largest largest client. So stop on by sidehustlenation.com slash tour to grab the free PDF highlight reel from this conversation with Alexandra, as well as check out all the links mentioned. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where you'll hear from a mom of seven who started an Amazon FBA business and hit the six-figure mark in just seven months. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 